Good morning and welcome home. We're so glad you've decided to join us for church this morning. If you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Life Church. And we're finishing up a series called New Year, New You. And if you're taking notes, the title of my message today is Live Like the End is Here. Live Like the End is Here. It's going to be Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. And as you do, let's, let's open with prayer. Father, we, th- we, th- we thank you that you love us. And you're so good to us. You're so good to us, God. And, and that you want us to live into the new reality of who you're calling us to be. To, to forget who we were before you, but to remember who we are because of you. And straining toward the goal of following after Christ. We just pray this morning that it would, it would open our hearts and open our minds to what you have for us, that we'd follow in the way of Jesus every day the rest of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What part of the story of God are you in? What part of the story of God are you in? Maybe you, you grew up in church and, and so you know the story from creation to new creation. And you, you know all the, the Bible stories in the Old Testament. You know the miracles of Jesus. But maybe, maybe you knew this whole church thing. You knew this Jesus. You, you, you're just trying to figure out what you believe about him. Is he God? Is he a man? Is he a good teacher? Regardless of where we're at, whether we've been in, in church our whole lives or we're just trying to figure out Jesus, I think this in question is so basic but so important. Where are we in the story of God? And, and we've been looking the past couple of weeks, we looked at what God wants us to be. God wants us to be a new people, a people who have empathy, who see from the other side, who whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. But, but the reality is, is, if you're anything like me, when it comes to new things and New Year's resolutions included, you start off strong and, and start off well, but then eventually you fall off the tracks, right? By, by April, March, you're like, uh, I, don't, I don't remember what I decided to do. And you hope no one else asks. And the reason why is because we, we have these routines. We have these things we do. Like, life is difficult and hard, and, and so we build routines to make it a little bit easier. But those routines actually end up making it hard for us to make long-term changes. And, and, and so because of that, we, we fall into the old way of living. So how do we, as, as new people, people who are called to represent Christ, called, called to reflect Christ, how do we live into our new year, new you? I think the answer might surprise us. Growing up, I was never all that interested in theater or plays. Um, my sister was in high school. She was in the drama club. And so I went to a couple of those like things that she did, but never a full play. But when I was in my early 20s, I went to my very first play. And I was blown away. I love stories, but I really enjoyed the live action, the, the, the acting, the having to memorize the script and telling the story in real time. I just loved it. And then when I went to college a little bit later on, I, I went to a bunch of different plays because I had a friend who was in the drama department at school. And then even after coming here, there are so many great actors that we have here in our community that have fallen even more in love with it. But, but I have this habit. <laughs> I have this habit of wanting to know a lot of information about a lot of different things. And so I started to research. And maybe you already know this, but Shakespearean plays, Shakespeare, the, the gold standard, Shakespearean plays come in five acts. And the acts are like this. The first act is the setting. It's the prologue. It's how do we get to the story. And, and the second act introduces the conflict. What's going to go on that's going to drive the story along? And in the third act, we see the rising action. We see the, the, the development from the conflict to the climax. And in the fourth act, we see what happens after the climax, as the, the descending, the falling action goes along. And then the fifth act is the conclusion. It's the epilogue. It kind of tells us what happened to everyone after the story is over. 
and, and maybe you recognize this point, maybe you don't even watch theater, you're not, you don't like that, but you recognize that a lot of stories, a lot of movies, steal this same timeline. And the reason why is because it's tried and true. It, it gets people just interested enough in the characters before the conflict happens that they stick around to the climax and conclusion. And it's a familiar pattern works, and so they stick with it. But imagine with me for a second that we discovered a Shakespearean play, one that no one had ever heard of before, no one had ever seen. But the problem with it is, is it's missing the fourth act. It's got the climax at the end of the third act. It's got acts one through three, the setting, the, the, the conflict, the, 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 the uh, rising action, the climax, but it doesn't have the falling action, but it does have the conclusion. So this Shakespearean play, we have four of the five acts. What will we do with it? Will we throw it away? Will we just say, oh, well, I wish we had all of it. We could bring it back. No, we would do whatever we could. Shakespeare makes beautiful art, and so we would do whatever we could to fill in the gap. We would have the best actors, the best directors to, to reimagine the fourth act, to reimagine the, 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 the connection between the climax and the conclusion. And they would do that because it's, because it's Shakespeare. And it's such an important story that people would want to tell. This is how we should view the story of Scripture. We have the first three acts, and we have the fifth act. We, we have the first three acts. We know how we got here. Through, through the, the Bible and church history, through the people of God, we know where we got to where we are. And we know the conclusion. We know the end of the story. The, the, the end is Jesus wins. The end is the new heavens, the new creation. The end is all those things. It, and we know how it ends, but we, we're living in this falling action. We're people of the fourth action, the fourth, fourth act living in the falling action between what God has already done and what God will do. We live in the middle between Pentecost and the second coming. We live in the middle. We need to structure our lives in the middle. In order for us to maintain these lives, in order for us to stop falling into the new year, new you, forget it and go back to the old you, we need to structure our lives around the story that we're in, that we're between the third and the fifth act in the falling action. We don't know where we are along that line, but we know we're in there. And in order for us to maintain these lives, to live in the newness of Christ, we need to live like the end is here. And that's why it's the title of the message. We need to live like the end is here. Jesus has restored us back to our original calling as being reflections of God. We are made in the image of God to reflect what God is like into the world around us. And, and as his image-bearing people, we have fallen. We've sinned through Adam and Eve and through our individual sin. We have not kept up our Calling, We have not lived out our purpose, which is to reflect what God's like into the world around us. And, and because of that, we need to be fixed. But through Jesus, through what Jesus has done, we are now able to be better mirrors. Not that when we weren't Christians that we didn't have the image of God, but just that we weren't uh, fixed. We had brokenness in us. So finding us in between the story of what God has done so far and what he promises to do in the end, we need to live as people of the future in the present. We need to live like the end is here. So how do we do this? We'll see this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And I encourage you again, turn there if you can, uh, whether it's on your tablet or your, or your Bible, whatever it is. As you're turning there, I want to remind you of the context of this letter. It was written by Paul, and Paul is Paul's an interesting character. If you don't know who he is, Paul was a persecutor. He was a killer of Christians, who on the road to Damascus, as he's going to kill more Christians, God radically transforms him, changes his life around, and he starts to follow Jesus. And, and so as he writes this letter, he's actually likely imprisoned 
for following Jesus. So he went from killing the Christians to being persecuted as one of them. And he writes this letter to a church in Colossae that was beginning to forget what they were supposed to be. You see, Colossians, they were wandering off into focusing on angels and spiritual sounding things rather than focusing on the one who is superior. That they had mixed some Jewish folklore, some because Paul comes out of Judaism, Jesus comes out of Judaism, that's the Old Testament. But they had begun to they had begun to mix Judaism and, and some myths and some local religion, and they were creating this new faith that was kind of bleeding into the church and it was affecting the church. And so Paul is saying that we need to refocus who we're called to be. Pa- Paul writes one of the most Christ-centered uh, books in the whole New Testament. And that's saying a lot because the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole New Testament talks a lot about Jesus, so it's saying a lot for Colossians to be about Jesus and more specific than other places. His goal was that they would, they would remember who they were supposed to be in their calling as they focus back on Christ, that they would remember that they were supposed to be a reflection of what God is like, and they were missing it. They were missing the greater thing for the lesser uh, spiritual activities that weren't even real. And, and so that's, what, that's why we, where we find ourselves today as we look in Colossians chapter 3. First one, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It says, if. Does Paul mean if, like maybe? No, no. What he's getting at is a causal relationship. It could, it could easily be translated since. Since then you have been raised with Christ. But wait a second. Since? Since when have I been raised with Christ? I thought I was still living in the flesh. Like, what do you mean, Paul? The resurrection's already happened? Have I missed it? No, no, no. Paul, Paul's not saying that at all. Paul's not getting at the idea that, that we've missed the resurrection or that it's already happened. But Paul is saying that because of Christ's resurrection, we are already... Um, we are participants in the resurrection of Jesus. And, and yet, we still are guaranteed one day to be resurrected. And theologians have called this, this concept, this, this tension between the already and not yet. And so we find a good example of that right here. We've already been raised with Christ in some sense. Not, not literally, but we have literally participated in his resurrection. And so since we've already been raised with Christ, we're guaranteed our resurrection. F.F. Bruce, he's a New Testament scholar from uh, the last century. He summarizes it very well. The day of glory, or the resurrection, may be future, but its arrival is as sure as if it had already come. What is he saying? God is so trustworthy that we can speak of his future acts, not as possibilities, but as realities. And if you're taking notes, I want you to get this. God is so trustworthy that we can speak of his future acts, not as possibilities, as maybes, but as realities, as sure things, as promises. But I want us to avoid a common mistake. I think when we hear this, we, we think about this reality, that one day we're going to be in the future, that one day the future is going to come into the present. I think a common mistake that we as Christians are tempted to believe is that it doesn't matter what we do now. We're tempted to believe that it doesn't matter what we're doing because, you know, Jesus is going to fix it in the end. You know, like, it, it, it's the concept of just because it's not cleaning day that we just take all of our garbage and throw it around the house. <laughs> that we just don't care how we live now because one day we're going to be with Jesus and so we just throw all the garbage. You know, when the cleaning day hasn't come. Well, no, that's, that's so ridiculous. If we are going to live like the end is here, we must begin by bringing those future realities into the present, not by just waiting for them to come. And here's the first step that we see. We need to live like the end is here by escaping escapism. What do I mean by that? The idea that we're going to go to heaven when we die and be with Christ as followers of Jesus is true. 
but it does not free us from the responsibility to live as people of heaven on earth. It doesn't free us up. We are not able to fully make heaven happen here, but we are called to be people of heaven here. We can't make heaven happen. We can't bring heaven down. There's nothing we can do to make this world heaven, but we can be a foretaste of heaven here. We can be people, citizens of heaven, who live like our home country here. Seeking the things that are above involves practicing them here below. And this isn't a new idea. There have been lots of books and songs written about this. A good example is the old hymn, This is My Father's World. It explores the reality that even though we live in a fallen world, even though we live in a world where it's not yet what it's supposed to be, it's not yet what it's going to be, it still glorifies and reflects God. And, and this is my father's world that says anything that is good and true shines forth the goodness and the reality and the love of God. And, and so the song is pointing to that same reality, that just because we're not there yet doesn't mean we can live like it doesn't matter. Instead, let's throw away the idea, or any idea, that doesn't live up to our mandate, our calling, as the people who reflect what God is like to the earth. God will one day renew the earth, so let us steward it well. No one who has become a follower of Jesus, at least not that I know of, has ever started following Jesus and then they jump on a launch pad and they're sent to heaven. (laughs) And the reason is because we still have a calling here and now. Let's not neglect that. Let's not escape from what God's calling us to do. Let's live like the people we're supposed to be. More than that, living like the end is here is not just a negative thing. It's also a positive thing. It's not just avoiding something. It's pursuing something. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3 again. If then you've been raised with Christ, or since, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We live like the end is here by escaping escapism, and also by having heavenly minds, by having heaven-oriented minds. First one says seek. And the idea here is a deliberate daily action, constant. It's, it's, the, it's the idea that we would seek, it's in we were like, like hide and seek. When something is hidden, we go and find it, right? It's, it's active. It's not just a passive reality of, oh, seek the things that are about. No, like, like we're actively pursuing it. And, and the first word, verse two, helps us understand. It gives us further meaning what that means. How do we seek the things that are above? We seek them by setting our minds. And, and the, that verb there in the original language could be translated just as easily, setting our hearts, or, or better yet, setting our affections, on the things above. In order for us to live like the end is here, we need hearts and minds actively and daily focusing on the things of heaven, daily remembering to reorient them toward heaven because it's so easy to become earthly focused. It's so easy just to look at, oh, I've got another day. I've got to go to work. I've got to get my kids up. I've got to get them fed. I've got to get them dressed. I've got to do, got to do all these things. We, we've got all these earthly things constantly begging for our attention. We need to daily reorient our minds to the things of heaven. But you may be asking, how do I do that? Does, does that mean I can only listen to worship music? Does that mean I can only read the Bible all day long? I can't do anything else? Because if, if that's what it means, I don't think I can live up to that. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that, that not that we just need to do just so-called spiritual things. He's saying that reality of Christ's resurrection and his reign in heaven should impact everything we do here. Here's what it means. It's not that we start throwing away everything that isn't spiritual, it's that we see everything with spiritual eyes. It's, it's the idea that heaven so changes our mind that everything we do is impacted by our view of heaven. 
Paul's saying that we need a heavenly mindset on all things, not that we can just do certain things. Many of Paul's letters would contradict that if we didn't understand this correctly, because Paul talks about marriage. He talks about family. He talks about the church interaction with itself, not just what they do on, during the service, but he also talks about how our relationship with one another. He talks about how we care for unbelievers. He gives so much information on so-called unspiritual things that he'd be contradicting himself here. But the point is that we need the lens of Christ in eternity here and now. We need his authority, his, the reality of his reign to impact the way we live today. Paul's reminding us that if we're going to correctly live here and now, if we're going to live like the end is here, as people of the future and the present, we need to have the proper perspective. Like Pastor David said last week, we have this tendency to divide things into sacred and secular, to divide things between faith and family, faith and work. We, We divide these things all the time. But the reality is, anything that is good and beautiful and true belongs to God. Anything that is good and beautiful and true is sacred to God. Anything. Having a heavenly mindset, one that is focused on the things above and not on earth, it, set thing, it sets everything into its proper perspective. It sets everything into its proper place. If I'm a person of the future, already raised with Christ, already with him as he reigns at the right hand of the Father, I am no longer enslaved to see my tasks as merely earthly. I'm not just a cog in the wheel of industry. I'm not just a server at Subway. I'm, I'm, I'm not just another person trying to make music or act or start a business. I'm not just another mom. I'm not just another retiree. I'm not just another grandparent. I'm not just another nameless individual in a world of billions. With a heavenly mindset, I am confident that whatever I do now that contributes to the world that God is renewing, whatever is pouring into that world that God is desiring, Whatever is good and beautiful and true, it has everlasting value. So let us write beautiful literature, even if it doesn't have the name of Christ, because it glorifies God that his children love beauty and reflect his beauty. Let us research that that claim, that science, that let's search up all the information we can about a particular subject, because it glorifies Christ when his children love the truth, all truth. Help our kids get up in the morning and get them ready. Help, help our families go to, go to work on time and work hard because everything we do that is good glorifies God. In God's economy, nothing is wasted. Everything that is good and beautiful and true belongs to God. But the only way we can live like this is if we constantly remind ourselves. It's so easy to just see the earthly task, to just see the end and of itself, and not to think about what is the reality of heaven. What does that have to say about how I do everything on earth? The presence of Christ reigning at the right hand of the Father should change the way we see everything. It should remind us that our heavenly tasks, our, sorry, our earthly tasks do not just have earthly ends, but have heavenly results. It also means that my success can't be measured by just the things on earth. Indeed, some of the most successful people we will see in the new heavens and new earth, some of the most successful people in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth, will be people we won't recognize by their tasks here and now. What a crazy idea. That, that we think that all these things that we're doing, all these, all these earthly successes that we have, we think it's somehow going to last into eternity, and maybe some of it will. It will if we contribute with the right mindset. But some of the most successful people in the new heavens and earth, we won't know them by their earthly tasks because they were contributing to a world that was coming and not just focusing on the world that was. We are not merely to be measured by earthly success, but to be motivated by a heavenly mindset. The the goal isn't just to be successful on earth. The goal is to be motivated by a mindset that focuses on heaven. 
So do what you were made to do, whatever you're made to do. Unto the Lord, not to men, because nothing is wasted. He will use it, all of it, not forgetting that Christ's place at the right hand of the Father changes the way we do everything and the why we do everything. We must live like the end is here. We live like the end is here by escaping escapism, by having a heavenly mindset, and by remembering our security. Look with me at verses three and four. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Kids do crazy things. I don't have kids yet, um, but I've seen the videos on YouTube, and I've been around enough kids, being a second oldest of six. Kids will do crazy things. And not just the funny things, either. <laughs> like, there's plenty of that. But they'll do crazy things. Like, they'll run next to a cliff, and they'll jump off tables, and think they're Spider-Man, and they'll try and climb up walls, and they'll do anything, these crazy things, around their, their parents and their siblings and people they trust. And, and they'll do all of it, not even considering how scary it should be, partially because they're kids and they don't understand yet, but also partially because they trust the one they're around. Living like the end is here requires boldness. It requires a sense of security that, that we can't find just in this world. The only people who are real, willing to risk everything in this world for a thing that hasn't yet come are those people who believe surely that that thing that's coming is going to. To reject an earthly mindset, to live like this life is all that there is, to reject that mindset and to live for more than just escaping to heaven, this tension between the two, right? We don't, we don't want to just live for everything here, but we also don't want to pretend like what here is here doesn't matter. We need to live in this tension between. We need to be fearless in pursuit of reflecting what God is like in this world because we know that everything we do here is safe in Christ. And that may require some scary things. It may require us to change jobs because what we're doing right now doesn't actually contribute to the way, contribute to the world that God is creating. It, it, may, it may require us to change the way we look at our job, the way, we, the way we do our job. It may require us to start a new business that helps people. It may require us to start revitalizing an organization that is dying, but God wants to resurrect to reflect him. It maybe even requires some of us to go into the rooms of people who are sick with diseases that may kill us, as some doctors and nurses do. But it, I know for sure, even if it's not anything that extreme, it will require us to, to leave our safe bubbles of Christianity where we only know Christian friends and a family, and getting to know those who are far from Jesus, not turning them into projects, but becoming better mirrors. You see, a bunch of mirrors are useless if they're only looking at each other. They're only useful when they're reflecting into something. Regardless of what God is calling us to do, whatever it is, the boldness needed is the boldness of a child who trusts their father. Those who live like the end is here do so because I can trust that God has them, because there's security in Christ. Verse 3 says our life is hidden with Christ. And verse 4 explains more of what that means. So verse 3 says we are dead. We are dead in our old way of life, and we're living in Christ. And then verse 4 says when Christ appears, he is our life. Christ is our life. And, and, and this may not make sense, but, but eternal life is not just living forever when you die. Eternal life is the quality of life that, that lives up into, into Christ, that sharing in that same life that Christ has in himself from the Father. Paul says that our promise of eternal life is safe with Christ, and nothing and no one can take it from us. So we can boldly live here and now, knowing that what Christ has given us is secure. Nothing can take it away from us. Think of it in the words of Jesus, right? Like whenever we lay up treasures in heaven, nothing can touch it, no matter what it is. So if we live in a way 
in this world that escapes escapism, that doesn't just think about going to heaven when we die, but lives in a way that stores up treasures in heaven and not just merely on earth, nothing can be taken from us. We can live up into the reflection of God that we're called to be. Each and every one of us is this different mirror that reflects what God is like differently in different places, in different ways. We can live up into that because no matter what it costs us to do that, it will never cost us what Christ has bought us. No matter what it costs us to live as the reflections we're supposed to be, it will never cost us what Christ has bought us. Christ has already accomplished it and it can't be taken away from him. It's secure, it's safe, it's hidden with him. And when we live like the end is here, we change the reason why we do what we do. And more than that, while we're doing that, we end up becoming who we were made to be, which is the reflection of God, to reflect who God is into a world that's forgotten whose image they're made in. Living like the end is here is not about doomsday watching. It's not about guessing who the Antichrist is. It's not about constantly preparing for the end as if the end is... Is, is a scary thing, but it's actually living into the hope of the end now. It's not just about doing, quote-unquote, spiritual things, uh, though we don't want to forget doing spiritual things of prayer and, and Bible study and church and fellowship. We need those things. But it's not just about doing those things. It's about doing everything at, in submission to Jesus, into that heavenly mindset. It requires a daily reorientation, that we live as people in the fourth act of a play that we already know the end of. It requires us to focus on the things that contribute to what the world that God desires and not just our own kingdoms. Because it it can be so simple to just see, oh, this is who God made me to be, and so I'm going to do all this so I can be the best at it. And that's great. But it's more than that. It's got to be more than just being the best at what we do. It's got to be the best at what we do so everyone can see what God is like. It's got to be more than just being remembered for being good. It's got to be remembered for being good to the glory of God. We cannot aim merely at our own successes, but we must aim at heavenly mindset and a heavenly reward. The goal is to aim at heaven, to think about how that should impact every single day of our life here and now. And as we reflect on what Jesus has done in this world and will do, we reflect that into the world around us. As we continue into this new year, we are called to live like the end is here. And we do so by escaping escapism, by having the heavenly mindset, and by remembering our security in Christ, that we're safe. It's often been said that those who are so heavenly minded are no earthly good. And I get what they're saying. They're saying that people who just pretend like heaven's all there is and now it doesn't matter. I get that. But I think, and I would submit, and I would respond and say, that people who are truly heavenly minded do much earthly good. That we who are focused and reoriented on heaven accomplish much on this earth. C.S. Lewis says just this, Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. God created a good world, but sin is fractured. It's fallen. It's not perfect like it was supposed to be. It doesn't reflect him the way it should. But through his promise, one Jesus, through what Jesus has done, through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return, he is making all things new, starting with people, people made in his image. And through this redemption... He he is inviting people into the story of God. And as we participate in this fourth act, the falling action between the climax of what Jesus has done and the conclusion of what Jesus will do, we're, we're invited into this heavenly mindset. And that's good news. But maybe you're here today and you're, like I said at the beginning, you're still not sure about this Jesus thing. Like, how do I even become a part of it? Am I even in the play? 
And the answer is, is you can be. You're invited into this family of God, this, this story of God where you can join the stage in the middle of the act. You, you can join on stage and you can become a mirror that you were created to be. And Jesus will have you. He will take you. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what part you've been playing so far. The end of the story is not over. If you're breathing, there's still a chance to be a part of God's story. And he wants you to be a part of it. He invites you to be a part of it. The invitation is open for all. The reality is, is that we, we, we all need to, at some point in our lives, if we want to be a part of God's story, we need to turn away from our sins and trust in the saving work of Jesus, his death, more than that, his resurrection that promises us resurrection life, like I said earlier, that reality that already is but not yet. And there are many ways to do this. I think that there are many good ways of doing this. But one way that I would, an easy way I would say is just to pray. And if you're like, what should I pray? Something along the lines of this. God, I believe you are real. I believe you made me with a purpose. But through my sins and living for myself, I've wandered away from your goodwill. I trust that Jesus died for me and was raised for my new life. And I commit to following him and living like the end is here by the power of your spirit. Amen. And it's not that the prayer itself has power, but it's the words of the prayer meant by a heart of faith, even a mustard seed of faith, even a tiniest molecule of faith that God will bless and expand and grow into the greatest forest. So if you've never made that step, I I encourage you, today's a good day to to make that decision, to follow after Jesus, to join the play, to join the stage, to join the act of what God is doing in humanity. But regardless of where we are today, we, we need to live like the end is here. We already know the end of the story according to the Bible. And so if we're followers of Jesus, we need to live like it. This is the way to follow him. Let's pray. Father, you love us so much and you care for us so deeply. Lord, you, you wrote this story and you knew that we would be broken. You knew where we would be at. You knew our decisions, our failures, our flaws, and still you love us. Still you call us into your family. You call us into this great cosmic story you're writing and you've already written. Lord, help us every day to, by your spirit, join in this story, to live like the end is here, to escape just wanting to go to heaven when we die, but to live with a heavenly mindset now because we are secure in Christ. Give us boldness this week to to do things differently because of what Jesus has done. Help us to live in a way that reflects what you're like, reflects the reality of Christ's reign. And God, give us boldness. Give us boldness to, to leave behind our fears and insecurities and to live the life you've called us to. Lord, maybe we've never made the decision to follow you. We've never wanted, we've never been a part of your family. We don't even know where to start. Give us faith to follow after Jesus, to, 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 to step into that new life, to walk in the way of Christ. And help us every single day of our lives to do that. We thank you this morning for, for the fact that you speak to us through your spirit, through your scriptures, through your son. And help us to better reflect him this week as we go about all the things we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.